Hello everyone, this is Shweb Khan here at Anti Small Talk, and today in our collaboration with Teacher Hug Radio, which as you know is the soundtrack to your teaching career, we've got the wonderful Caroline Biddle joining us. And just a disclaimer, we are going to be talking about fertility, we're going to be talking about bereavement, we're going to be talking about a range of different topics that might be quite upsetting for our audience. So just a small disclaimer, because Caroline's work, her line of work, is fertility issues in teaching. So hello, Caroline, and welcome to Anti-Small Talk. Hi, Shweb. Thanks for having me. No, it's brilliant. I know you're more of a listener. We spoke about that, but now you're going to have to be a bit of a talker. Okay, so for Caroline, for our audience here at Teacher Hug, okay, who is Caroline Biddle? Uh, Caroline, uh, I am uh, an IVF mother and a fertility in the workplace advocate. So I've got a website called Fertility Issues in Teaching. I'm a former drama teacher, so I taught for nine years. And now I'm having some time away from teaching to pursue um, my fertility advocacy route. And I think I feel like I have a stronger, I can come, you know, I've sort of got a stronger voice being outside of teaching and talking about it. Um, And I'm also training to become a fertility coach that I can support the community of teachers who, who contact me, you know, who are going through fertility treatment. So hopefully that gives you a bit of a background about me. No, fabulous. I think what's really important is when we first started talking, had this this conversation as well. Fertility is something I know very little about. I won't lie to you. I'm a bloke. It's something that out of privilege, I just don't research. Until about a year ago, when I had a colleague who was struggling, I obviously, they turned to me for support. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what avenue to go down. So I think signposting people is really, really important. This conversation is important because it does affect a lot of people, often without realising. So it's about taking those taboo topics taboo and inverted commas and bring them out in public and allowing yeah. people to have safe spaces to talk and get support yeah absolutely you know and, and I think you're not alone with not knowing a lot about infertility um, I can talk about that if you'd like to know more about infertility and maybe some things that um, everyone could do with knowing about that of course absolutely absolutely so Caroline you mentioned you're a teacher you were a teacher a drama teacher do you miss it yeah, I do. Do you know what? I had some great relationships with the students and I think everyone goes in to teaching, you know, for that reason, for the want to um, work with young people and because they had great experiences and relationships with their teachers at school. Um, yeah, I do. I miss it. I really miss working with the young people. You know what? Everyone I speak to leaves teaching. They always tell you, they, they, they always take it back to the kids. Students are the best in the world. Like, I can't tell you. I work in so many different schools, so many different environments as well. Yeah. Working with young people, it's just, it's such a privilege, isn't it? It's the best, I think it's the best job in the world. Um, I still think it's the best job. It can be improved. There's certain policies that could be changed, but I still think it's the best job in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And there's some students that I worked with years and years ago, you know, and they keep in touch with me. I've got, there's a couple that who were at drama school and they drop me emails now and again. It's great. You know, they're in London pursuing their acting career. So it's really you know, I feel really privileged to still be hearing from them and to be in contact with them. It's a wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that I find really interesting about mm. teaching drama and the subject of drama, I've taught it on supply. Uh, I've got a GCSE in drama as well many years ago. Like the pedagogy behind it is very different from anything else, isn't it? It's very different from for geography, for example, history, for example. Mm. But it deserves an equal amount of respect, if not more, because obviously now it's become more academic. And by that, I mean, not saying it wasn't academic before, but 
more coursework orientated, more orientated around exams and actually skills that you can measure. So teachers teaching drama, it's changed massively, but I love drama. It's, it's amazing. It's the best subject. I think a lot of the time in drama, we're just allowed to just be kids again. That's, 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 what, that's what the most amazing thing about drama is. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think, uh, you know, the change a few years ago from um, there was a performance, the final exam used to be a performance exam and I was actually a visiting examiner to go and um, to different schools to assess that final performance and they changed it to a written exam. And I think, you know, that was, that was a good move. It added a lot more... Um, sort of structure and discipline to the course and I enjoyed teaching yeah I enjoyed teaching the the, the two different courses of drama over the years um, yeah yeah I really enjoyed it That's um, but you know cool. yeah but now I'm taking time out to pursue this direction I feel like it's something that I I need to do um so yeah I'm going to see where that takes me no I think it's really important I think it's really important yeah. using those classroom skills and you're pursuing something that is is different, but it's also very similar. You're still helping the, the education profession. You're still helping teachers as well. When did the inspiration start? When did this? When did you realize that this is the route that I want to pursue? Because with me, very different, completely different. But I'll give you the example with me. When okay. I wanted to become a writer, I just started getting my work out there bit by bit. With mm. this fertility journey, how did it start? Do you know what? Five years ago, if if someone would have told me this is what I'd be doing, I would have I would not have believed them because. I did not talk about this five years ago. Um, I got married to my husband in 2015 and we were like, you know, early 30s, decided that we wanted to start trying for a family straight away. And then a couple of years down the line, because what happens is, you know, the NHS expects you to be trying naturally for a baby for two years before you can be redirected to fertility treatment. And it was a little bit before two years, actually, we... Uh, were sent well I say we were sent for test they they assess the man's semen before the woman gets assessed at least that tape works in the West Midlands and the CCG here and um, that's the clinical commissioning group so my husband uh, we found out that it was male infertility the reason we weren't getting pregnant so we had less than a one percent chance of conceiving naturally and um, which was a massive shock and I didn't know a lot about male infertility at that point I automatically assumed that if a couple can't get pregnant it's the woman's fault and I say mm. that word you know I'm doing the speech bracket. I hadn't heard about male infertility so I was like whoa okay and obviously my husband went he's he's not a teacher he's an engineer and he went off on his own sort of little well, it wasn't little it was huge you know I think for a man to be not to be diagnosed as infertile um yeah for a woman as well it's huge but I think he went through that whole thing of I'm, I'm less of a man and um, it brought up a lot of that for him. And obviously, you are, not, not obviously, we went through counselling and we had lots of conversations about that. And um, yeah, so we joined the waiting list for IVF. And where we live in Wolverhampton, you are allowed one round of IVF and a round of IVF consists of um, the hormones to stimulate the ovaries to produce um, lots more eggs than they usually would, egg retrieval, and then uh, mix the sperm with the eggs. After that point, um, after five days or so, see how many embryos have made it, and then you can transfer one or two, and then the freeze the rest of them. Um, so first time, 
and with well, with the only time with the NHS, uh, I well they collected I think it was like twenty eight eggs, which is far too many because as a woman it's dangerous. You're at risk of OHSS, which is over hyperstimulation syndrome, and if you actually return an embryo to a uterus that is at risk of OHSS it could be fatal for both well, you know for the for the mother so it's it's incredibly dangerous so at that point we had to wait um I think it's six months it's usually three but because of waiting list it was six months because you go to the bottom of the waiting list and those I think we had 13 embryos we had 13 embryos that, that from the 28 eggs 13 embryos made it we froze the 13 embryos and uh, again, really naive in my head. I'm thinking, yeah, I've got 13. I've got 13 chances, you know, 13 potential babies. And of course, it never works out like that. Well, maybe for some people it does, but in a lot of cases that I have heard of, it doesn't work out like that. And when they thawed the embryos six months later, uh, it was sort of, we'd have a phone call from the embryologist, uh, uh, you know, on one day and saying, oh, well, we've got 10 left now. We'll call you tomorrow and let you know how many. And then called the next day and said, oh, well, we've got two. You kind of need to come in quickly because they might not make it. And, um, you know, so there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of it's, it's grief. You think you associate those embryos as your children. You know, that's a That's and then slowly they're going boom, 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 boom. And all the lot, you know. So I went to hospital, had the two embryos transferred. And then there's a two week wait a period of two weeks you have to wait so you can take a pregnancy test you know and all, all the while this is going on let's not forget I'm at work and mm. I'm popping out for appointments here there um you know the, the, there's quite a few appointments with IVF which and I'll come to talk about that later you know I just bring up a lot of guilt because you feel like you're torn between your job and then oh but I need to have a family as well I kind of deserve a family I feel like I'm, I should be able to have a family um, and then the I was supposed to take my pregnancy test at the end of the two-week wait on a Monday and I said to my husband I can't do it I can't wake up on a Monday morning take a pregnancy test see that it's not worked and go to work I can't do it so we agreed that we we're going to take the test a day earlier and you know it was negative which yeah absolutely flooring so I took that one day to grieve the failed embryo transfer and then went back to work the next day. And it's sort of as normal, you know, you just you crack mm-hmm. on and as, as you're processing, well, that's my only chance of free IVF. That's sort of, that's gone out the window. Now we've got to look at our savings and what we're going to do going forward. Yeah, so that was, I think that was 2017. And we did, uh, I think it was, it was, it would have been, the end of September we found out and then we did what we did a lot of the time for IVF book a holiday it was tended to be October half term so I booked a holiday um I think we booked Vancouver so I went away for the week for October half term like cheap skyscanner tickets made it happen took out you know distracted holiday for the grief came back and uh, it was just I was processing that as well as how unsupported I felt at work Mm -hmm. and you know I was and I wasn't unsupported at work I have to say that you know managers head teachers leaders they don't have to give you paid time off or any time off for fertility treatment because it is classed as elective so even though infertility is a disease the World Health Organization class infertility as a disease the cure or the treatment 
for it is, you know, cure is the wrong word, the treatment for it is elective. So, you know, to have a conversation with um, a head teacher who will say, you know, this is elective, uh, if, you know, I'll let you go to your appointment, but I'm not going to pay you. Maybe that sounds entitled, me expecting to be paid, but I think certainly as a drama teacher, and I'm sure, you know, well, all teachers work more than the sort of the eight or four, don't we? You know, I was thinking about the school shows and where I'd be there till seven o'clock at night and then the school holidays where I'd come in for exam prep, performance prep, again, school show prep. And you start to think, well, what am I? Hang on, this is just one way. This is one way traffic here. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm putting in all this extra shift because I'm, I care about the children. I care about the school and I care about, but actually who cares about my well-being, who cares about my personal life and I think it was at that point that it became evident to me well I'm not sure anyone does here yeah so I think that word elective was quite cutting because this wasn't a boob job and this wasn't having varicose veins removed this mm. was my husband and I were unable to have a child um a biological child and um, and, I, you know, and I think that can throw up a lot of ignorance as well, because it's really, you know, I was told you'll be all right. Just go and get your tubes cleared or um, you can always adopt, which is like, the, you know, the key things that you don't say to someone going through fertility treatment. But I don't hold that against um, anyone because, you know, there's a lack of education. Out there. We, we need to normalise conversations. It's a taboo subject, as you said earlier, Shweb. And, you know, I think the more we talk about it, the more we educate each other, the people we work with, the better this, um, this conversation and this taboo will, will go, you know, it will go in the right direction. So for me, I didn't feel um, supported at that school. I was, I was allowed to go. I was, you know, I wasn't paid my appointments, but I was allowed time to go. So I can't fault them for that. Um, and I moved to a different, actually, no, actually at that point, I decided that I was going to take a year out and a job came up at a local school and the head teacher contacted me. So I heard you go in, come and work for me. I, and I was really honest and, and I said, well, the thing is, I really want a baby and this is my situation. So if you employ me, I'm not really going to be there a lot of the time. So I'm going to be, well, I am, I'm going to be there, but I've got, a, you know, a plan to go to appointments. And he, and he said, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, you don't have to explain yourself to me. You didn't have to tell me any, any of that. But yeah, I'll support you. So I did actually go to that school, which helped because I did. We did actually end up spending £15,000 on treatment, which is nothing compared to what some people spend on, on treatment. So, you know, that actually helped me to continue to fund, fund treatment going forward. Uh, so I went to this new school and the head teacher was true to their word. They let me to go, you know, allowed me to go to all appointments. They were, um, they were discreet. So no one else knew about uh, what, what I was going through, which was really important to me because it wasn't that I was embarrassed or ashamed of, of what I was going through. But I think what happens is when you talk about something like infertility, and I think actually for a lot of different subjects, you, you get that unsolicited advice, don't you, where people say, oh, well, you know, that happened to me, but after sex, you should just try a line with your legs up the wall or stop thinking about it, just relax and it'll happen. And then, you know, all those conversations start and you just think, why am I bothered? Why am I bothering? So it's just easier to, to keep it to yourself, going to work, do your job, 
pop out for a, for you know a couple of hours to go and have your appointment come back to work um but I'm making it sound like I was out a lot but actually wasn't I started this job in the December um I think March started second round of IVF that was privately it was sort of like two two mornings a week for a couple of weeks and then a day for egg retrieval uh, a day for recovery after egg retrieval because it's you know it can knock a lot of women about and it did me and then back to work you know I worked during my two-week wait the second two-week wait found out in the um, Easter holiday that it was another fail and you know, back at work again just kept you know kept going and actually for me work was a distraction I felt supported at work I felt like the head teacher wanted the best for me so that made me want to be in work and we tried again with frozen two frozen embryos in the end of June 2018 and then found out two weeks later the day that we broke up for the summer holidays I did a pregnancy test and found out that it had worked that time and then that was a really great time because obviously with a lot of anxiety in the in the first trimester um so for that six, that six week holiday, it was just brilliant. It means I could, I could sleep, I, you know, well, I did sleep, relax, didn't, you know, there was no stress there. And then came back to work and I was 11 weeks pregnant, told my head teacher again, he was really supportive. And then went off maternity leave the following February, you know, and I think actually when the point that I realized that I needed to do something was when you know my first school when I thought oh okay this is interesting because I just assumed the support would be there I assumed there would be policies there and it was a total shock for me when I contacted my union and they said yeah it is at the head teacher's discretion whether you know whether or not they allow you to go to the appointment and this is from the union you know and I thought whoa if the union can't even help me what on earth what on earth is wrong so then I started reading about it looking into it and I actually um, a journalist interview interviewed me when I was pregnant about my fertility journey and I said to her I am going to do something about this after mm -hmm. I had my baby you know it just feels like it's something I have to do um so it was almost like it wasn't a choice really it's something that I'm really passionate about a bit of a cliche word isn't it but I mean mm -hmm. it really is it's something that like it's all I could think about I knew that if I was struggling with this and I was having a hard time that there must be thousands more teachers around the world who are in the same position and that's absolutely spot on you know the, the teachers that I talk to every day who are struggling and contact me for advice of how can I talk to their head teacher? What should they say? What should they not say? How should that conversation go? And, you know, there's just, there is need for both support for the teachers going through this and also from an education perspective for leadership, you know, so they know how they can help their staff and how they can retain their staff. And, and, and you know, I'm talking about it from a female perspective. Mm. And certainly, as we know, 75% of teachers are women, but also, like I've said, there's male infertility and that accounts to 40 to 50% of cases of infertility, which is a huge number. And so we've got male teachers who um, are experiencing all the grief, 
of infertility and some of them are told that they can't go to these appointments so it's almost like there's a gender disadvantage for both like for women it's a gender disadvantage like I myself I'm not infertile but I was in an infertile relationship so I was the one that had to miss a lot of time away from work even though you know my husband was the one who's infertile and uh, yeah, yeah so there's the men who want to be there to support their, their partners and aren't allowed to be and likewise I've spoken to same-sex couples and, and both women want to be at the appointments but one's not allowed to be there it's almost like the, there's just a lot of work to do Shweb, and there's lots of different things that, that you know that leadership could be doing to help and to be more flexible totally yeah. I'm sorry but I'm kind of like choking up that was like it's like a roller coaster of a journey I'm so pleased it, it came to a a happy ending as such and you can go back and reflect on it the way you have so clearly thank but you what an incredible journey like it's it's grief at every step and there's like a battle yeah. at every step and then you've taken all that grief that that frustration dare I even say anger you know at, at how the current system yeah. is and trying to work, work to improve it on the outside but yeah that was uh it was very emotionally exhausting for me uh, listening I can't oh, imagine sure. it was like going through it Do you know what it was exhausting and looking back now I probably was going through depression you know I couldn't talk about it I didn't want to talk about it my friend I remember my friend taking me out for a, a drink like a hot drink like coffee and a cake and being like you know I think you're depressed I think you need to talk to someone I was like no but I think I don't think you see it when I don't think you see it when you're in it but yeah looking back now I definitely I wasn't myself it's just you know like seeing a pregnant colleague at work would mm. tip me over the edge I'd yeah. be in the toilet crying if mm. you know for someone to announce their pregnancy like god no don't like another person who's pregnant this is horrendous this is torture and you don't expect uh, you know anything like that to, to tip you over the edge but you you're a very you're in a very vulnerable state and I don't you know I haven't met anybody yet who's gone through fertility treatment and they've breezed through it like I haven't met anyone who's breezed through fertility treatment it's mm. like you said it's an emotional roller coaster it's grief yeah there's a lot of trauma with it I think the fact is that it's not spoken about you know when you go in the staff room if those, those yeah. places used to exist they don't exist about that, that often anymore <laughs> in the staff room where you've got posters or like different issues like for example my old school there used to be one about uh, bereavement for example yeah. IVF is not something that it's not on the educational conversation it's not on the dialogue mm. it's not something that people are willing to talk about and I think a lot of people do suffer from it I've got a family member who's He's, his doctors have told him that he can't have a child you know he, he's infertile um and even now when we go out and about like for example let's say we go to get a drink somewhere go to get a coffee or something and there's a family there with kids I can physically see in his eyes that he's so choked up about it and it hurts him so much and there's nothing I can do or say to console him because I haven't got the emotional competence or the understanding of the topic so I think developing that ourselves as educators as people bringing those conversations into public we, we're not good at dealing with emotions I don't I think Caroline as, as a society and as a country we're not good at dealing with loss or conversations about loss and helping supporting people through those difficult topics but then you have conversations like this that we're having right now where everything's been laid out on the table and we're just talking about everything and anything these are sort of conversations that need to be appreciated and respected and our teacher our audience are going to be so lucky listening to this Oh, thanks, Shweb. And you know, you're right, it does happen to so many people. Like the NHS, an NHS report showed that one in seven couples are infertile. 
and Fertility Network UK say that there's 3.5 million people in the UK, that's just the UK, you know, facing fertility issues. And that's not including miscarriage and baby loss. Last night was the wave of light, seven o'clock last night, where all around the globe, women and, you know, men, couples, they lit candles to acknowledge the babies that they'd lost. And there's lots of women that have gone through IVF and lost embryos that you know lit candles. It's, it's really emotional talking about mm. it. You know, to see that on social media last night. Yeah. Honestly, Caroline, the journey you've been on and where you are now is absolutely incredible. I I, I document my own grief journey. Uh, so we lost our grandfather during the first work week of our, our PGC in 2015. There's no comparison. I'm not comparing grief with anyone at all. But sure. just the thought of having that, I can't talk about it. I can't openly talk about it till this day. I find it so hard. The fact that people who go to IVF treatment, it's knockdown, pick up, knockdown, pick up. That is so hard. I can't ever imagine that to continuously go through that journey and feel the grief. And then, and like you say, all this unsolicited advice, it's okay that you're not okay. Things like, oh, they're, they're in a better place now. It's so frustrating. But then, yeah, again, I actually feel sorry for those people as well. Because they don't, <laughs> yeah. They've never experienced it. Most people that give advice on grief, on baby loss, they've never really loved anybody more than they love themselves. You know, they never really understand loss or com- had conversations about loss. So they're trying to be advocates or, you know, experts and trying to console us. Really, I'd rather not have any advice and unsolicited advice. I think it's <laughs> yeah. just, it just sucks, in my opinion. Yeah, and you know, I think we don't know, as like you've already said, as a country, we don't know how to talk to people about, about grief, that whole, you know, the, the listening I don't think we're very good at listening. I think we feel like we've got to fill the gaps and we've got to talk and we've got to make people feel better. We're not very good at allowing people to sit in their grief and supporting them through that and, you know, actively listening to what they're going through. Yeah, and you know, a, a statistic, well, bit of some research shows that people who are struggling living through infertility, that the grief... Just the has the same effect on the brain as some, you know, a cancer patient who's mm. dealing with that that depression. So again, not to compare, this is some research that was published that the brain goes through the same trauma as someone who is diagnosed with cancer who who is you know dealing with that. So it's it is huge, and I I do think that uh, a lot of people just think the answer is well, adopt. There's lots of children, and sure. you know there are, but that's a separate conversation entirely, mm. and um you know to adopt is a wonderful thing and I think it it takes sort of the value from that to say just adopt because there's no such thing as just adopt it's huge um yes there's lots of really ignorant responses that 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 come from people which is you know what I'm doing on on social media and there's, there's lots of other people on social media sort of teaching others how to have those conversations what to say what not to say thinking before you speak that's just one angle that I go down with the blogs and, and the social media posts, yeah. But certainly my main focus is to promote the, the, the challenges with IVF and teaching and then what leadership could do to help, you know, the, the staff who are going through infertility. Absolutely, absolutely. And Carol, one thing that I really want to like focus on as well is obviously you've done research. What employment rights do people going through fertility treatment have? Because at the minute, it seems as though that there's still that, gray area people are not quite sure 
Because in, in terms of employment rights, as you mentioned, speaking to unions, I've spoken to unions about X, Y, and Z, and they don't often know themselves, yeah. to be honest with you. I just think they're so overworked. That's, that's my opinion anyway. I'll give, them that, I'll give them that excuse. But what employment rights do people have going through fertility treatments? Because you mentioned going to meetings, <laughs> having time off. This is the, like you said, we don't give people enough time to just comprehend what they're going through. So for a school to say, oh, we'll give you <clears> the morning off, they won't factor that in because then they're like, oh, we have to get cover in. We have to get a supply in. You have to set the cover work. Sometimes having time off as a teacher creates more yeah. work. Yeah, absolutely. And the, first of all, the answer to your question, what rights are there? There are none. There are none. So ACAS encourage employers to treat IVF or fertility treatment like every other medical appointment. And they also encourage and employers to treat sickness related to fertility treatment like every other appointment which is not helpful particularly when you know you work at a school as a teacher and in the absence policy it says you're allowed one medical appointment a term well when it's IVF for example you might have five or six medical appointments a term maybe more um, so it's not helpful it's not constructive at the moment what's there and and, and I do think this is why, you know, it's called fertility issues in teaching and not fertility issues at work, because not to say that it's worse for teachers, but it's very diff- It's a very different experience. It's a very unique experience is, you know, the way I phrase it. So if I was, say, for example, a nurse, you know, and there's lots of nurses that, that who struggle with fertility treatment and who don't have the support from their employers. If I was a nurse, I could use annual leave. It's not the answer. I don't think that you should be using annual leave. Nurses, you know, they could use annual leave. They could potentially swap shifts. I don't know enough about that, but I'm assuming you could swap shift. Um, there's ways around it to that flexible working. As a teacher, you can't swap shifts. You can't use annual leave because your holidays, like we know, don't we, a holiday use in advance. It's the, sort of the same every year. And I think also saying that there is that expectation that you should just wait for the six weeks holiday to go through fertility treatment. But why? Like, why? I just, it's bonkers. Like, you know, a woman hits 35 and her fertility goes downhill rapidly after the age of 35. So if you've got a 37 year old female teacher and, you know, you're expecting them to wait for the six weeks holiday and that fails well they've got to wait another year before they can have fertility treatment so you know before you know it they're 40 and their chances to have a child are really really low and and, you know the same for men as well I think there's this misconception that men because we see these movie stars that are like in their 80s and having babies there's, there's this misconception that men's fertility is always is at a peak throughout the life but actually men's fertility declines with age as well and dependent on um, environmental factors so yeah you know there's it's tricky for teachers and I do think you know for for school leaders it is difficult because there's budgets there's they've got to find staff they've got to find cover for those lessons and then if you're in a department and your colleague has got a free period, he was looking forward to marking their work, you know, the books with a cup of tea and a biscuit, mm-hmm. finds out they've got to cover you again. That causes friction in the department with that relationship. And so you end up going to an appointment thinking, oh, God, Mrs. Smith is, you know, 
like she hates me and she doesn't know why she hates me I wish I could tell her she'd probably understand if I could tell her but all she thinks is this you know I'm skiving again I've got another appointment um yeah there's just so much guilt that comes with it and and, and I think the answer around it is for teachers to let the head teachers know way in advance that they're going through fertility treatment sort of you can't say this is when my appointments are going to be because a lot of the time Shreve, you find out the day before you need to come mm. in tomorrow morning for a scan when you're going for your scan they say right we need to scan you again tomorrow morning and the consultant and the embryologist and the fertility nurses don't want to put you in that position but it's almost like they're doing the best they can to help you get your baby and it's constant monitoring sometimes they'll say oh great you know we've had the scan today we'll see you in a couple of days but it's almost like pre-empting your head teacher that this is the way it's going to be and then trying to come up with a plan so there was a woman who contacted me a female teacher who contacted me about six weeks ago and she said I don't think I can deal with the stress of this because it's going to create loads of cover and it's going to be really messy for my department and I'm really worried that my head teacher is going to refuse to let me have any time offered for, for fertility treatment what are my options and I said well you know you could think about part-time if that if that's something that you think that you could afford to do because again I know it, I suppose I didn't I didn't go part-time I couldn't afford to go part-time but I said if, if you feel that you can go part-time then that will um, you know take a lot of stress out of the situation because you're not going through appointments worrying about what everyone's thinking or not even worrying what everyone's thinking just putting people out it's not a nice feeling is it in teaching when you've, you're ringing sick and you think oh who's covering my lesson today and it's not just your colleagues letting the children down so maybe it's an year 11 exam lesson that you're missing and, and just that feeling of oh my life what am I doing um so this teacher contacted me this week and said thanks so much for your advice and I don't I don't really like that word I don't feel like you know she approached me and said what are my options almost like I gave her options rather than I think advice can be quite ignorant can't it so I just said to her with easier options that you, you know you could do everyone's allowed to request flexible working so consider that so she she did she has dropped down to part-time and with the support of a head teacher who said look when you go for your appointments they will be paid which is fantastic because he doesn't he didn't have to have done that um have I gone off on a bit of a tangent Shreb I think no, I was just trying to, no, no, to no. demonstrate I, that I'm actually writing notes as you speak as well I think it's I need to learn we all need to learn I think our audience will pick up on things and they need to adapt into their practice as well <laughs> I think what's really important is the awareness I think the yeah. awareness creating that awareness I think that's what you're trying to do more and more and you're right with teachers as well the teacher guilt plays in the cost we don't get paid loads and loads like my salary just covers you know my household costs tact factor that treatment in into your into your monthly allowance should I say it's mm. expensive we don't get paid loads as teachers you know the, the, even the highest TLR is not exactly loads and loads is it so no. the financial I shouldn't say burden but it is I suppose it's a financial mm. cost that you have to factor in so there's so much like intricate planning that needs to take place it's not just you know just get up and go and get treatment it's not that easy you really have to be your own advocate and, and that's what I promote from a teacher's perspective on social media you know and I say to them you know put this in your email to the head teacher so you know preempt the head teacher that you need a conversation to discuss personal issues and um you know say to them in the email that you really would appreciate their discretion then when you come to the meeting 
I've got a, I've got a resource actually that I do give to my teachers to help them in the meetings. It's almost like it takes that responsibility from the teacher in that first meeting. So they don't have to explain the IVF process. They don't have to say, well, you know, this is what's going to happen. Then this is what's going to happen. This is going to happen. Mm. They can just give the resource, this, this, this A4 piece of paper to the head teacher and say, this is going to tell you everything about IVF and how it affects teachers. So if you'd like to process that, and then maybe we can have another conversation, but this is what I'm looking for. So I also say to teachers, you contact me. Before you go into that meeting, think about what it is that you want to gain from that meeting. Are you going to be asking for paid leave please are you going to be asking for unpaid leave are you going to be asking to drop down to part-time are you asking for to you know to to have some help with your form so you know well, that would take pressure off getting in that early in the morning so maybe you could work with your IVF clinic to have all your appointments some you know seven at some clinics open at seven mine didn't open till eight um but maybe you could someone could cover four maybe that would take a lot of responsibility off at the start of the day and at the end of the day could could something happen you know sometimes there's form periods in some schools at the end of the day so compressed hours late starts early finishes think about what is going to work for you that is going to help this process be less stressful and I'm, this is this is stuff I guess that I didn't do but I I learned the hard way and then sort of passing on this this wisdom now um and teachers who who are talking to me go to this meeting they feel more prepared and they are getting what they want a lot of the time from these meetings and I think the head teachers are grateful that they're being educated um, by the staff that's going through fertility treatment which, which is a problem mm. but at the moment you know that's the best that we can do to send a teacher into their meeting with this resource but ultimately you know it'd be great if leaders could not treat IVF like every other medical appointment and again don't treat sickness related to fertility treatment like every other sickness and like I said really normalize conversation get a really equitable and inclusive IVF policy that isn't too prescriptive into the workplace and and really focus on external support have CPD you know work with fertility and teaching to learn about what you can do to support your staff yeah I think you're referring to kind of differentiating for like staff I think we differentiate for students why don't we do it for staff and their needs you know it's Mm. a well-being it's a well-being issue this is you know we talk about well-being in schools this is a well this is one of the central well-being issues that many staff as you mentioned before 75% of teachers the likelihood is you're going to get at least maybe one member of staff in your school that's going through it yeah and you know what more Shreb because there was an article that was published earlier this year that said that by 2045 sperm count is going to be so low this you know (laughs) this is going to be a pandemic like that so by 2045 we'll probably have all these policies in place and um it'll be taken a lot more seriously but we we need to we need to start now that's that we're not waiting for 2045 and everyone's got fertility issues I mean like I said that was an article that was published earlier this year and that was based on scientific research about the decline um, of, of male fertility um yeah and I think that things are changing not yet with fertility policies but I see it with menopause policies I mm. see it with Men, workplace menstrual policies you know Emma Barnett uh, published a book recently a, a, about periods and and you know I contacted um, a, a 
a, a lecturer who does a lot of work and research around that and I've had some interesting conversation with her and I've I speak to lots of women who do the work that I do but you know with with menopause and, and it is it is changing and you know, the big it seems to be the big companies Shreb, that are, are making a difference with miscarriage mm. and you know fertility policies we've got HSBC, HSBC, ASOS you know the the bigger companies are recognizing that they need to invest in their staff and they need to look after them to retain them and I do think it's trickier for schools because someone's got to teach the children haven't they of course, in a time of these spending cuts and budget cuts, you know, I remember not yeah. too long ago, even like things like affording face masks for staff, you know, schools can't, it's, it's, it's just a, uh, it's an additional cost when they're already under so much financial strain. Like some of our, I speak to a lot of school leaders, a lot of school leaders, and they will tell you, you know, they would love to implement new policies. They would love to, but the financial cost of them, it makes it so much more difficult. This is why, you know, utilizing services, speaking to people, even, you know, getting free CPD resources, I think that's what's vital. Schools got to dip into that market, haven't they? They've got to be, they've got to use the fact they haven't got any resources, but to be resourceful in other ways through contacts and networks. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this this is something that I, you know, really want to happen. You know, there needs to be change in schools. And if there's any head teachers listening and they want to get in touch and they want to learn about how to support their staff, then you know great I'd, I'd love to help and there's so many challenges with IVF and teaching um like the whole f- returning to the classroom following fertility appointments is huge so mm-hmm. it, you know if I had a, 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 a if I worked in an, an office and you know I had I could just come back could have come back from my fertility appointments put my head down got on my work fine but you know I'd come back from appointments and some of them well they're all nerve-wracking they're all incredibly stressful and tense and it's almost like you're going from one world and then thrown into this the world you know another world which is school you walk through the doors you process and everything you've just been told in your fertility appointment it might be mm, you know the eggs they're not stimulating as much as they should be or we might need to change medication or we're going to be doing egg retrieval the day after tomorrow you know and so you've got to prepare yourself for general anaesthetic in a couple of days and, and, you, and you walk back through the door and then you teach him and that whole way you know the performance side of you know the tick because we're all performers as teachers aren't we that has to just switch back on and that really can it just it's really difficult to do and as well um yeah like you know and, and like you were talking about grief earlier any kind of grief is difficult to teach through mm. there's there's also you have to take phone calls from the embryologist um, who, you know, they have lunch the same time as everyone else in the world has lunch in mm-hmm. the UK anyway. So they're going to call you from the labs. So just to be clear, you know, embryologists, the, 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 the people who keep an eye on the embryos in the lab as they're developing, and they tend to give you a course after egg collection, eggs are mixed with the sperm, or in our case, ICSI, where the sperm is injected into the egg because it wouldn't have been strong enough to sort of make its own way into the egg. And the embryologists watch the process for up to five days under the microscope, I guess is the word. And then they give you a call every day as to how the embryos are doing. That could be good news, it could be bad news, but they do say to you, you need to keep your phone on you. No, you can't be teaching GCSE Mm -hmm. 
drama, year seven drama. I'm just going to take a phone call from the embryologist guy. Just carry on as you are. But if you miss that call, you can't call them back. You don't have a direct line to your embryologist. The only Mm. number that you have is to the clinic. And if you call the clinic, say, I missed missed my embryologist, a call from from the embryologist. Well, you know, I'll tell them that you call, but they'll just have to call you back when they get a chance. They don't transfer you. It doesn't work like that. Um, and there's the guilt for missing lessons. There's the guilt, you know, as we spoke about, guilt for colleagues. And you can't, like we've said, you can't take annual leave. And then there's that worry that, oh, my head teacher knows that I'm trying to conceive. So they're already thinking that I'm, that I'm going to go on maternity leave. So that's my career down the drain. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to apply for this promotion, but they know that. I'm, and that has happened. You know, a few teachers I spoke to, there's one woman who, one woman who really you know she aspired to be a head teacher and she told her head teacher the truth and going through fertility treatment her journey was oh six years she was going through fertility treatment and her fertility clinic was four hours each way from where she lived she lived in a remote, remote part of the UK and the closest clinic was four hours away she'd have eight hour round trips that started at 4 a.m you know and, and she'd get back into work and and yes the head teacher was flexible and that was great but she she applied for the deputy head position that came up at her school and was told well I don't think it's really a great time for you because you're going through all this and you're going to be on maternity leave anyway that's discrimination like we've mm. you know we've got, we've got to be really careful but ultimately like I, you know it's almost like I, I, I'm torn because it's discrimination but it's also well they do know your private life and and they shouldn't discriminate, but they're the probably, like I told the head teacher that when I went to the second school, well, you know, I don't think I should come and work at your place because I'm trying for a baby and, and hopefully I'll be on maternity leave soon. And luckily he said to me, well, that's fine. Like, you're entitled to do that. It's your life. It's your business. You didn't have to tell me that. But not everyone's the same, either, Shweb. And I don't know, do you, do you think many leaders would give a woman a job who are, trying to have a baby and who would I'll be, I'll be honest with you the, the leaders that I speak to as well it's, it, I think a lot of it boils down to context doesn't it you know a lot yeah. of school leaders think about ultimately they think about the, you know, the well-being of their school well-being of their staff they think about Absolutely. you know the logistics of day-to-day running a school it's one of those things where if I was a school leader hypothetically speaking and a member of staff said to me I'm going through IVF treatment or I'm, I'm potentially going on maternity leave there's so many questions they have to ask themselves about a how they can replace you whilst you're on maternity leave how they can support you while you're on maternity leave making sure you're okay make sure you return back to work because if they value you as a member of staff they will want you back at some stage mm. how how the students are going to cope without you how fellow staff are going to cope without you now a lot of members of staff will go on maternity leave they have fantastic fantastic rapports with students and fellow staff, I remember when I was doing my NQT, uh, a colleague went on maternity leave around about January time. She was brilliant, absolutely fantastic she was. Like, she supported me right throughout you know, my, my induction as an NQT. But when she left, I, I, I fell apart. Like, I fell apart, yeah. literally fell apart. So as a school leader, I think there's so many personal conversations they need to have to ask themselves. Ultimately, the forefront of their thought must be, and it should always be, how can I support support this members a member of staff's transition into fa- um, having mm. a family, and how can I support the transition back into work? And if there are meetings and there are uh, appointments they must attend, there's got to be that level of flexibility because if there isn't, you're pushing the staff further out the door. You're creating that yeah. division, and that's when the taboo starts. That's when you stop approaching your teacher for support. That's when you think, oh, they're not going to support me. Why should I bother? And that sort of feeling 
It doesn't help anyone. It creates a lot of animosity. It creates a lot of negative friction. And that's where we stop talking to people. And that's where we start boiling up and uh, bottling up all these frustrations and it goes nowhere. Yeah. And you know, this teacher who was told not to apply for the deputy head position, after six years, she did have her baby. And now she's not going to go back into teaching because she just feels really devalued. And, you know, that all that time off that she had, that she, she feels that that has changed the way leadership look at her. And, you know, the MTPT project, I'm not sure if you come across them. It's Emma Shepherd is the founder. She does amazing work with um, helping teachers return after, after maternity leave. And there's some, you know, it shouldn't have to be the case, should it, that women cannot mm. go for promotions because they're potentially going to get pregnant. Because like you said, as long as they have the right support in place, that, you know, there's no reason that they can't do both. 2021. Yeah. Totally. So there's a, yeah. So, you know, going, you, you're thinking about all of this. It's almost like your career, you feel that your career has either gone on hold or gone off the cliff when you're going through mm. fertility treatment because you can't be in school as much as you want to. Again, you know, the average amount of days is nine days. So, I just want to be clear on that. It's not like you're having weeks off, it's nine days a cycle. And those, it's not like full nine days, it could be a couple of half a days. But the majority of women, it's five days. So just to put it into perspective, a, a cycle can be up to six weeks. If you've got five days over six weeks and it's a couple of mornings here, a couple of afternoons there, it's just very bitty, I guess. Yep. You, you do feel like a massive inconvenience. And, you know, the other challenges that come with IVF and teaching is that you do look like you are pregnant when you're actually swollen from hormone, mm. from the hormone treatment, from the injections, because you've got instead of one egg that you're producing monthly um you know you might have 28 in my case the first time mm. around so that, that you might prompt the children to say oh miss you're pregnant mm. which can be very triggering of course of and course. it's you know and it's, and it's really difficult to remain rational during when there's poor behavior so you might be a teacher who is really on point with behavior management but then you've got all these hormones in your system you're dealing with the grief depression the stress and suddenly you find yourself unable to, to deal with poor behaviour. So you almost feel like, like everything that makes you a great teacher is just sort of going boo, 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 boo. You know, really, mm. it's, it's really conflicting. Of course, of course. Absolutely. And, totally agree with you. Carol, I'm just conscious of time. I'm just conscious of yeah. time, OK, because normally we do a 55 minute episode. But in terms of like schools, and I know you're keen on this as well. How can like... Okay schools create like networks to support fertility how can how can that be done because you know i think investing in staff culture is really really important but yeah. i can imagine there's more than one member of staff who's going to this in, in, a, in a specific school or they've had experience of it or they've got a friend who's got an experience of it or a colleague or someone they know you know someone um their, their mom or their whoever, whoever they've got someone who's gone through issues of fertility how do you think schools can create these networks because i find talking to fellow colleagues I think opening that conversation up that's where it starts when we get the ball rolling yeah great question you know normalizing conversations you know put displaying posters in staff areas um about infertility delivering some CPD sessions I mean I've spoke about this before in a blog post so I'm written about it that's NatWest and um, the company that owns British Gas, I can't think what they're called, but they have a fertility network in their in the business. So anyone that is struggling with infertility, they um, can reach out to the network, get support. And then, so if, if there's a, 
an infertility network in a school where there's one, maybe there's one member of staff that delivers the CPD. Maybe it's an email to raise awareness every month. Or, and, you know, actually the 1st of November to the 5th of November every, every year is National Fertility Awareness Week. And so maybe, you know, doing some events in, in that week every day and sending emails out, d- delivering some CPD after school. The posters go up about National Fertility Awareness Week to raise awareness. So hopefully that opens, answers your question about how to, um, yeah, create that network and that safe space. And I think it's also important to point out, Shreve, that the person who runs that network, um, you know, it should be their choice. So just because, you know, for example, I've gone through infertility and fertility treatment and I feel strong enough now to talk about it, but that doesn't mean to say that everyone who's been through it um, can talk about it. And, you know, IVF doesn't always end with the baby. There's lots of people in the workplace who are childless, not by choice and childless by circumstance, whether that's financial reasons or mm. because they haven't found the right partner. And so it's not just people who are going through fertility treatment that are, that are struggling. There's a whole community of people. So, yes, there's one in seven people who are infertile. But if you think about all the teachers who are who are who are single, but perhaps they you know, haven't had this conversation that they really want a baby, but. I haven't found anyone to do that with and they don't feel confident going solo down, down that route and all the teachers that wanted the babies but it doesn't it never happened so that network would be really supportive for you know a really big community that is I'm sure is in every school absolutely absolutely and Caroline okay last one for you okay because I'm just conscious of time as well where can our <laughs> audience find you because I know there's going to be school leaders listening to I know there's going to be teachers listening to this who have you know, maybe it's a eureka moment for them. Maybe they found someone or a voice that they can resonate to and they can get support from. Where can our audience find you? And um, do you do any consultancy work? Is that something that schools could possibly contact you about? I know you're open to, ha- open to have that conversation. And you know, for our audience anyway, Caroline's more than open to have that conversation with people. She's having this conversation with me. So is it possible to, where can they find you? Right, so you can find me on Twitter and um, that's at FERT underscore teaching. Um, and there's the website, which is fertilityissuesinteaching.com. And yes, we do consultancy. And also, as I said earlier at the start of the podcast, I'm training to become a fertility coach so that I can better su- to support the, the community of teachers who contact me. So, yeah. No, fantastic. Options. And Caroline, last one for you, okay? Uh, what's, the, what's the best part of being a mum? Oh, the best part of being a mom. I'm incredibly grateful. And, and you know, at one point I never I'm going off on to I never thought it was going to happen. It's just he brings me so much joy, the funny things that he comes out with. We were sent a little clip from nursery yesterday, and the, the nursery worker said to the children, they were going happy, sad, you know, all different facial expressions. What makes you happy? And he said, Mommy and Daddy. Oh, and I bawled my eyes out like oh. Yeah. No, I spoke to my mother about this before we had this conversation. I was speaking to my mom, I said, Mum, talking to some about fertility issues. And obviously, I, I explained the backstory to her. And she's like, You know what? That lady sounds like she deserves to be a mum. And I just like, I know what. Thank you. Thank you for saying that, sister. Yeah. And you, you definitely do, Caroline. Your journey is absolutely incredible. Our audience is so lucky to hear from you. And you know what? Until next time, I don't think this conversation stops here. I think this is a, something we're to keep the ball rolling, we're to keep this dialogue going. And if I can facilitate or teach her, can facilitate any way, shape, or form, please let us know. Thanks, Feb. That's great. It's been a joy to talk to you. Thank you very much.